Psalm chapter 27 is where we're going to start out today. And uh, last week we saw three examples of God at work. Uh, we saw Jesus calm the storm as he sent his disciples out on the, out on the water. And it's still that story never ceases to amaze me that God, through Jesus, would send his disciples out across the water knowing that a storm would be there, knowing that they were going to be tossed about. It just helps us to, to be reminded of the fact that God's in control of all things. He's in control of it all. And the bottom line is, yeah, he could have said, well, why don't you wait for an hour, wait for the storm to pass. But he did. He said, go. Their only job was to trust him and be obedient and do what he said to do. But through it all, you know that as the storm intensified, where was Jesus getting closer and closer to them? And it's just a great reminder that through every difficult circumstance of life that God knows that we're going through, he's going to be there with us. And then we went back a couple verses and we saw how Jesus fed the thousands. It was up to the disciples. They said, man, how can we do this? We better send them home. It's getting dark. Uh, they got to have time to travel back to their places. They got to have time to prepare meals. And, and Jesus says, don't send them away. You send them. Oh, how are we supposed to do that? Just trust me. Just, just trust me here. Well, well, Jesus, all we have is this small meal, these fish and these loaves and so go get them. Let's bless them. Let's say prayer. Give God thanks for the food and let's eat. And we know that everybody ate until they were what? Satisfied. I mean, who expected that? Doesn't God do so much more than what we expect at times? Amen? And then we look back and the 12 spies sent out to investigate the land that Jesus or that God said he is already giving them. No, they came back with a glowing report of how wonderful the land was. Rich, fertile soil and great fruit and the pomegranates and, and the figs and the land that flowed with milk and honey. But we said there's always what? A uh, but. But the giants. But their walled cities. But. Man, it's a strong three-letter word, isn't it? But here's what we need to remember. But God is greater. Well, today I'd like to preach on the subject of being secure in our walk with Christ. I'm not sure what salvation means to many of you, but I'm sure it could and does mean more than we think it does. For a few moments, I'd like to remind all of us what we have in and through Jesus Christ and how we should share what he has given to us. So I want to start this morning by looking at Psalm chapter 27 and then a little bit into Psalm 28. And just I want you to notice several things here. And so I'm going to give you a bunch of things to notice. They all start with the letter C, which I'm not usually too concerned about doing, but it just kind of fit this one. I got lucky. So, uh, and you know I'm not three points on a poem, guys, so it's kind of interesting to find all the same letters. So the first thing we're going to notice here is in Psalm chapter 27 and verse 1. Right off the bat, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? Right off the bat, I want you to notice David's confidence. In verse 2, he says, When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I want you to see David's confidence here. Whom shall I fear? Answer, nobody. Of what shall I be afraid? Nothing. 
Over and over, he says, I am confident that my God is with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Though an army deploys against me, I will still be what? Confident. Isn't it amazing how confidence kind of comes and goes? It kind of ebbs and flows. There are times in our life that we are confident that we can overcome the world. There's nothing so great that we can just do this. And then the next thing comes and it's like, man, how am I going to get through this? Isn't it amazing how our emotions play such a huge roller coaster game with us in these things? But we have confidence. We ought to have confidence, just like David had confidence here. He knew who his God was and what his God was able and capable of doing. And we ought to have that same confidence. He says, I will still be confident, though an army deploys against me. Can you imagine that just for a moment? See, I'm confident in my pistol, I'm confident in my tanks. I'm confident in our jets. I'm confident in our bank account. I'm confident in a lot of different areas, but oftentimes it's not confidence in God like it ought to be. Who's with me? We kind of go, our confidence kind of goes along with what we know we can handle rather than what we know what God can handle. But David's confidence is in God. Then we see another one in verse verse 4 says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then he says, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. I want you to notice David's craving. He says, I have asked for one thing. One thing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a whole list of things. I want God to do this and this and this and this. And when that list is done, I got another list right behind that. He used to laugh at Mr. Slattery, who used to live next door. He had these posts that he would put in for his garden. He said, I got a limited supply of posts. And as soon as that limited supply is done, I got another limited supply. And then he'd go out there and goes, I got another limited supply. It just kept coming and coming and coming. And that's what God is. He has the ability. He says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. Let me ask you a question. Let's be real honest with ourselves this morning. What is it that we do that we truly desire? What is our what if you if you could say I got one desire it's this what is it? What is your one desire? David says I have asked God for one thing it's what I desire and it's to dwell in the house of the Lord for a month. Forever. He says all the days of my life gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Remember that song you used to sing back 10 years ago? Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. I remember the first time I heard that song, I'm like, that sounds really funny. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. And all of a sudden, we begin to grow in our walk with our, in our, walk in our faith and our, our, our closeness to the Lord. And you think, man, it really is a beautiful thing. His face truly is beautiful. Is it what we desire? Is it what we crave? David's craved to have this fellowship, this unity, this oneness with God. He says, I've asked for one thing. What would be the one thing that you would ask God for? I hate to say it in our flesh, we'd ask for a lot of different things, wouldn't we? We'd ask for that financial stability, security. We'd ask for a dependable car. We'd ask for a house that didn't have a leaky roof. We would ask for in our, all these things in our flesh. But when it really comes down to it, all these things in this world are going to pass away. 
what's the one thing that will remain? Our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, seeking him in his temple. And I'm just kind of thinking out loud that I don't think it was for an hour and a half a week on Sunday. I think it was throughout the week to have that fellowship and communion with God, right? Well, notice something else in verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 says, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. I want you to see what David's charge was to the Lord. He says, Lord, hear my voice. I mean, think about this just for a moment. David is demanding something of God. He says, Lord, hear my voice. A while back on, on uh, Facebook, there was this little video about a little boy who was trying to get his mother's attention. And, and after a while, he, he called his mother by her first name. Look at me. Look at me. And he kept calling her name by name. And we kind of looked at it as like humorous, but the little boy had a point to make. He wanted his mother to hear him. How often do we have a concern that God truly hears us? You see, this gets really deep sometimes. We kind of throw out these Hail Mary prayers. God, would you? And then we kind of turn our back and walk away and do our own thing. Because we're a people that live lives for instant gratification, right? I mean, that's why we have microwaves, because they're quicker and easier, and we don't have to take the time making something, right? We want instant now. That's why we have drive throughs We can just kind of go and you know, grab and go. We live in an instant gratification culture. And when sometimes we pray and it doesn't have an immediate result, we just kind of forget about it. Well, it must not be God's will. And move on. How often do we say, God, I need you to hear me on this one? Now think about it. God already knows, right? He already knows what's going on. But he wants us to come to him. And he wants us to depend on him. And he wants us to be faithfully committed to what he's going to do. And he says, Lord... Hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and what? Answer me. He wants God to know that he's calling out and he wants to hear from God. So his charge is that, Lord, hear my voice. And then he says, my heart says, in my heart, my emotions, my heart says this about you. Seek his face. He's saying, in my gut, I know I'm supposed to seek your face. So, Lord, I'm seeking your face. And he says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Can you see what's going on here? It's not just a casual Hail Mary prayer here. He is communing with God in fellowship, and he's saying, God, I need your attention. I need to hear from you, and I want to hear your voice. When's the last time we spent that kind of time in prayer with God and fellowship with him? Let's be honest. Someone said to me this week, prayer is really hard. Yes, it is. It takes time. Are we willing to give it time? I don't know about you, but the first time, I, I, I may have shared this in the past, maybe I did, but you'll listen to it again. 
I can remember the first time I made a commitment to pray and I was in college. And I hear these stories about the great prayer warriors of the past and guys like Martin Luther who would say, I have so much to do today. In fact, I have so much to do today, I must spend the first four hours in prayer. And I'm thinking, that is one ultra-spiritual dude. There's no way I can spend four hours in prayer, but you know, I'm going to make this commitment that I'm going to spend some time in prayer. So I kneel, my, kneel down and spend time in prayer, and I start saying, Lord, thank you for this day, and blah, blah, blah. And man, I prayed through everything that could possibly come to my mind. And I look up seven minutes. Anybody else ever done that before? But to truly spend time in fellowship with God and to pray back the scriptures, it's hard. It takes time. It takes commitment to really cry out and say, God, I need you to hear me. I need to know that when I speak, you are listening. God, are we, are we looking eye to eye here, God? I want to hear your voice. Speak to me. Is that our desire? Would any of us even have the gall to charge God like that? Say, God, you, you listen to me, so to speak. Let me see another thing I want you to notice in verse 10. He says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. He cares for me. And he says in verse 13 and 14, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. But first of all, he says, even if my father and, abandon, father and mother abandon me, he's committed. I don't care if anyone else does anything. He goes, God, I'm committed to you. If father and mother abandon me, I'm still here. I'm going forward. You know what's true in our culture is that we live in a committed society that's commitment only while it's you know, feasible to be mutually gratified. I'm committed so long as you fill in the blank. It's really easy to be committed when things are going, our, going, going well and going our way, right? But what happens when things aren't going our way? Things aren't going well. Still committed? It's easy to be confident in God when there's no real problems. But when the problems come, will you still be committed? Even if, <laughs> even if father and mother abandon me, I know the Lord cares for me. I'm committed to Him. Are you committed? Are you committed because of your walk with Jesus Christ, because of what He's done for you? Are you committed? Then we see in verse 13, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Look, look at His certainty. We see His confidence. We see what He craves. We see His charge. We see His commitment. We see His certainty. He goes, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. I love this point about Spurgeon, what he says here. He goes, we all know this world is an unpromising field for faith. According to our varied experiences, we must all subscribe to the declaration that this earth is more or less a valley of tears, that it is not our rest, for it is polluted. What's he saying here? This world that we live in, it is temporary. It's not here forever. And he said, that is best, it's polluted. He says, there are too many thorns in this nest for us to abide comfortably in it. Isn't that an awesome statement? 
And then he goes on and says, were this world really to be our home, it would be a terrible fate for us. But faith comes into the unpromising field and believes she will see the goodness of the Lord even here. She rushes into the fiercest fight that ever rages, fully believing she will see the banner of the Lord's mercy and truth waving even then. Isn't that awesome? He says, I am certain I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. He chose to look beyond the struggle to the promise that was of what was coming. And then we see in verse 14, his composure. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. He's just, just hold on, just wait. Just wait. Why am I waiting? Because there's an expectation that something's going to happen. Why do we wait in line at the store? Because we know what's coming next. We're going to pay for our bill. We're going to receive something. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. When you wait, there's an expectation that something is coming next, right? Go to the previous verse. He says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait. I'm expecting it. I can't wait to see what it's going to be. I've already charged the Lord to listen to me when I pray and to speak to me and to not turn away from me. And he goes, I'm just going to wait for it. I'm trusting God to do something here. So he says, be courageous. Wait for the Lord. You see, he's just got a a calm composure here in waiting for the Lord. Then go into Psalm 28, verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, I call to you, my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry for, to you for help. When I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Notice his call. He says, God, you're my rock. You're my rock. Don't be deaf to me. How many of you parents have ever said to your kids, listen to what I'm saying, listen to me? (laughs) He's saying, don't be deaf to me. Listen to me. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry out to you for help. When I lift my hands towards your Savior, listen to me, God. How many of us plead with God to hear us like that? Over and over through these couple of psalms, and even if we go on past 28, you hear the psalmist crying out saying, God, I need you to hear me. I need you to listen. I need to hear your voice speak. I think so often we go through a period of dryness, a period of where we just kind of feel stagnant. Kind of ask this question, where's God right now at the moment? I, got the, I mean, doesn't he know I'm going through this circumstance and this difficult time? Where is he? It's not God that moves. God is still God. He's still there. Are we pleading to hear his voice? Are we pleading for him to listen to us? This whole psalm starts off in verses 1 and 3, noticing his confidence in God, which is right where he ends up in Psalm 28, verses 6 through 8. He says this, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. He says, blessed, because he's heard. The Lord is my strength and my shield. 
My heart trusts in Him and I am helped. Therefore my heart celebrates and I give thanks to Him with my song. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is a stronghold of salvation for His anointed. He starts off with a, with a, a, a commitment and seeing His confidence and He ends with that. In verses 6 through 8, His confidence. The Lord is my strength. I don't have to be strong. He's strong for me. Over and over, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength, my shield, my heart trusts in him. And this is the result of it, verse 7. Therefore my heart celebrates, and I'll give thanks to him with my song. You notice how important singing is? Think about this. You can go over to Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit, out of a muddy clay, set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. And look at verse 3. He puts a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see it in fear, and they will trust in the Lord. When God works, he puts a song in their mouth, and then they begin to sing it. And he says, man, others see it. And they begin to trust in the Lord because of my singing. God is so much greater than what we give him credit for. What David is proclaiming is only possible because of his relationship that he has with God. If he didn't have much of a relationship, he couldn't stand before God and say, Listen to me, and I need to hear your voice, and I need you not to turn away from me. Because he had a strong relationship with God. Let me just say this. Well, you say, well, David, David got her. I mean, God answered David because he was David. No, David was a sinful man just like you and I. I mean, think about it. Who could do what he did? And we all could get into that whole side of the sermon in that direction with Bathsheba. And then for God to turn around and say, he's a man after my own heart. Only a God who understands the heart of man and sinfulness, and a man who responds with that, with that rebuke and says, I'm guilty, and works on that relationship with God and demands that God hear his voice, could have that kind of a strong relationship with the Lord. But here's what's beautiful. If you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you should have the same confidence that David has. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you should have the same confidence that David had. Every one of us that knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior ought to be able to say, God, I need to hear your voice. Don't turn away from me now, God. I'm listening, and I'm waiting for you to speak. I'm waiting for you to act. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you should have that same confidence. Back in Psalm 27, verse 1, David boldly proclaims, the Lord is my light. Think about that just for a moment. The, the whole concept of light. Spiritually speaking, well, before I even get into that, what is the purpose of light? He says, the Lord is my light. What is the purpose of light? To help us see in the midst of Darkness. And spiritually speaking, is it any different? The light of God brings confidence in the midst of the darkness of this world that we live in. We ought to be a picture of God's light to a dark world. If we truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
what kind of impact should that light of God that lives in us, that flows from us, what kind of impact should that have in the world around us? Last night as I was praying, I said, Lord, without a doubt there are people in this congregation who have never shared their faith with anybody. Without a doubt. Yet they have the light of the gospel in them. And their light is not shining like it, like it needs to be. There are people in this congregation, I'm just making this assumption, I could be wrong, but I don't think so, that maybe it's been years and years since you've shared the gospel with anybody. And yet you have the light of the gospel in you. How bright is your light? In John chapter 1, there are a few verses I want to just highlight real quickly. John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It was a true light that was to light up the dark world that we live in. I remember as a kid in children's church, we sang a little song, Hide it under a bushel? No. Anybody remember that song from when you were little kids? Song written back in 1920. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Remember the next verse? Right at the end, you know, we're going to let it shine until Jesus comes. We're going to let it shine in our community. And, and then the last one, hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. You know what a bushel was used for? The basket that they used for the bushel? For work. When the light goes out, the work stops. Don't use the bushel to put the light out. Use the, bush, the basket and the, 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 to carry on the work that God's called you to. Don't let, don't let Satan it out, as one of the verses said. Remember that? I remember in children's church, we used to sing that every Sunday morning as a kid. God wants us to shine. He says there in Psalm 27, when the Lord is my light and my salvation. And he has this wonderful relationship with God where he's pleading for God to listen and to hear. And he charges God and he says, I want you to, I want you to work. I'm waiting on you to do something. And he has this confidence that nothing can shake. Why? Because he knows that God is his light. And the gospel's in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Why did God impact your heart, your life? So that you might radiate his light. His glory. So I come back to this. What's your relationship with Jesus Christ really like? It's a challenge to me. Do I have that same confidence? Am I still that committed to what God is doing in and through me and in, in, in the circle of influence that he's given to me? 
let light shine of, think of it, back in Genesis 1, or Genesis 2. He does all these things in creation, in the beginning, in the, in the, in the first book of the Bible. The same God, the same God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. He spoke light out of darkness. Just spoke it. Done. Why? Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory that it might emanate from us. That's power. The kind of power that brings forth light from darkness so that others may have the same confidence in the relationship with Jesus Christ too. One last passage in Matthew chapter 5, if you would turn there. It's a familiar passage. I'm not going to say much about it. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, You. Now in English, which I am not an English person, as you well know. In fact, as I taught in a Christian school a year out of college, I pleaded with our administrator, I will do any other class, but please, God Almighty, do not make me teach another year of English. I hated English, but I learned something about English. When a sentence starts out with the word you, who's its audience, or who's its recipient? You. The reader. You are the light of the world. You. All of you that read this verse up here, you, you, that know Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives it light for all who are in the house. And then he says this, in the same way. Some of your translations may say in the same manner. Or just like this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What kind of light do you have for the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, the only reason, the only reason David can have any confidence at all in his walk with Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ changed his life. And he says, Lord, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So many of us walk around in fear concerning our walk with the Lord. We walk around and say, well, I don't want to say anything. Somebody might get upset. Some of us go say, well, if I say something, then they're going to take it out on my kids. Or if if I say something, they're they're going to get ticked off at me. I learned something about coming to New York. I learned in the South and in the Midwest, when you invite someone to church, what do they do? Oh, yeah, see you Sunday. Here in the North, I ain't go to your church. I, I don't, no, I don't do that. I kind of like that. You know where you stand with people. Up front, they're just, this is how it is. They don't lie to your face. Well, some of them do, but... <laughs> But for the most part, you know where you stand with people here in the Northeast. 
And the reality of it is this. What kind of light do we have amongst the people of the world that we live in? Are we shining bright? Whom shall I fear? We don't have to be afraid of anybody. We don't have to be afraid of anything. We don't have to be afraid of what someone may think or do or say. Why? Because our confidence is not in man. It's in God. Right? Is that true? So let's take God at his word. Where he says in 2 Timothy, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Go in, go in, go in boldness and courageous. be courageous. Don't worry about what someone thinks. In fact, as he sent his disciples, all he goes, you're going to go into some towns and some towns aren't going to not want to see you. He says, dust your feet off, dust them off and just go to the next one. Man, we live in a culture that everybody wants to be pleased and accepted and you know, just accoladed. That's not always going to be the case, folks. We like, like it. We want it. It might make us feel good. But it's not reality. Jesus says, if they hate you, marvel not because they hated me first. In fact, John reminds us that he says, I came into his own and his own received him not. They didn't recognize him. The reality is we live in a rough world, a dark world that needs the light of the gospel. Amen? Why don't we have the same confidence that David had? Where he just stands, God, I'm waiting to hear your voice. Don't turn your face from me, God, now. I want to hear and plead our hearts before the Lord. I'm just telling you, when we get on our knees and our face before God, he listens. He listens. These last several weeks, I am enjoying just walking through this facility and praying out loud and saying, God, you work. And he is doing it. He is doing it. He's doing some things I didn't ask him to do. He's doing some things differently than what I would have expected. And guess what? It's okay. He's in charge. It's cool. It's cool when God does stuff, right? It's all good. I want to close with this question. Do you still have confidence in God? Are you still secure in your walk with Christ? Are you still confident that he's listening? That he's not turning his head from you? Last Thursday, as I said before, we talked about the very fact that as we come before God, we need to make sure that our heart is right before him as well. See, a lot of us have expectations of what we want to see God do. But if we're tr all true and honest with ourselves, God's not listening to some of us. He says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm 66, 18, the Lord will not what? Hear me. He says, you've got to deal with sin. You can't live in sin and expect me to bless your life and your prayer life. You've got to deal with sin. Psalm, or Proverbs 28 says, if I try to cover up my sin... He that covereth a matter will not prosper. That's almost humorous when we think of Hebrews saying that all things are naked and open before God. Psalm 139 says no matter where you go, God is there. You can't hide anything from God, but Proverbs reminds us that he that covers a matter, or tries to cover a matter, will not prosper. God deals with sin. He says, I can't bless your life 
And I won't answer your prayers as long as you're putting others before me, other things before me. That's the idea behind Psalm 66, 18. If I regard it, I know it's there, but it's really not that big a deal. It is a big deal because sin separates. Sin separates. Say, so, well, Pastor, I don't know if there's any known sin in my life. God has a remedy for that too. The psalmist says, Lord, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Why? Just so you can know what it is? No, so that I can deal with it and come clean before God. And men, God gives you a special verse just for you. Just for you guys. You better honor your wives lest your prayers be hindered. Now you women say, that's right. God gives you a special exhortation to honor your wife lest your prayers be hindered. You know what the word honor means? I've said this a thousand times over the last seven years. To give value to. Honor your wives lest your prayers be hindered, First Peter tells us. You say, well, I'm not seeing God answer prayer. Maybe there's sin that's not been dealt with. But folks, we need confidence in a God who loves us, cares for us, wants to bless our lives. And here's the beauty of it. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we go before God and say, God, I agree with you. What I'm doing is wrong. This is sin. And God, I confess it to you and I ask you to forgive me of it. God says at that point, I cleanse your heart, I forgive you. You say, well, does that mean God's going to give me everything I want after that? No. But it means he's listening. And he's hearing. I mean, there's nothing sinful on my part that's hindering my prayers from going forth. God is still God and he's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants. He can choose to work or choose not to, but he's in control. But my confidence comes from my relationship with him and my time with him and communing with him and saying, God, I need you to speak. How's your confidence in God? If you have no confidence, you have to ask yourself why. If you know the same God that David knows, you should have that same confidence. Unless there's something interfering, like sin. And I challenge you to deal with it this morning. I've reminded us several times that Casting Crowns has a song between the altar and the door. In this space, we say, yeah, I agree with the preacher. I agree with God's word. I should deal with this, this, or this. And I feel kind of bad about it. But then I leave the back door and it's life is normal again. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can take care of today. If there's sin, deal with it. If there's faith issues, deal with it. If you need God to work, plead his face to listen to you, to look at you, to hear your prayer. Let's model what David did and say, God, I need you to speak. But don't just walk out and say, oh, well, nothing changes. But what I found in my own life, maybe you've experienced it too, it takes a little bit of humility to surrender. 
Actually, it takes a lot because we're pretty proud, arrogant people. And God just wants us to surrender. So this morning, as I close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Two things, real simple. Not 10 things, not 25 things, two things. Number one, will you be honest about where you're at with your walk with God? Are you confident or are you not? If you're not, you have to ask why. Will you be honest? And then number two, will you be obedient to what God may ask you to do as a result of that? It's one thing to say, okay, I'll be honest. My walk is not where it should be. I don't have the confidence that I should have. And then just walk out. It's one thing to acknowledge it. But it's another thing to be obedient. What does God want you to do in, re in reaction to what he's challenged you with? Will you be honest? Will you be obedient? And that means this morning, it may require you to surrender once again. Surrender your life to his and what he may want to do in and through you. Just say often, the altar's open. You can pray. Can you do it in your seat? Yeah, you can do it in your seat. But there's something about just saying, God, I surrender. I want to see your hand at work. I want to seek your face. I want to know that you're listening to my prayer. I want to see your presence. Would you be honest? Would you be obedient this morning? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,